Hi, my name is Josh Ledgard. I'm one of the co-founders at Kickoff Labs, and this is our podcast. The On Growth Podcast is a place where we're going to share advice on growing sustainable businesses through the stories of our customers, our team, anyone we can find with something to teach us. We've got a bunch of plans for this podcast, but with each episode, we'd love to hear from you, who you are, what you thought, and what topics would interest you the most. In this episode, the very first one, I'm going to share my interview with Nicholas Agard, I love this story because it came out of nowhere for me. I was just browsing some of the top customers at Kickoff Labs last month and saw this fascinating campaign about a product that made me do a double take. I looked them up after their Kickoff Labs campaign had ended and was blown away that they'd raised over half a million dollars on Kickstarter so far. You'll hear what they learned through several failures leading up to this and how they applied those lessons to their current product, Last Swab. Nicholas Agard, is that how you pronounce your last name? Yeah, well, it's Agard, but it, it was it was pretty close. It's pretty close. Okay, uh, where are you located? We're located in Copenhagen, Denmark. Ah, amazing. Uh, so first of all, I'd like to say congratulations. Uh, so far, I mean, I took a look at uh, what you guys have been up to. And you've raised over a half million uh, U.S. dollars on Kickstarter after having collected over 40,000 email addresses during a pre-launch campaign for your newest product, um, which is Lash Schwab, which I love uh, because of the, the green message and the, and the concept of the product and the cool look of the design. Uh, and we're going to get into that. But before we do, I'd love for people to get some context on you. So if you could tell people, give people a little bit of information on what is your background? Sure. So um, I thank you, by the way. Uh, we're actually, we're really excited about the success. Um, so we, we're, we're three founders. It's uh, me, my sister, and my business partner, Core. Uh, me and Core have been working together for uh, seven years. We met at uh, the Danish uh, School of Design. And before that, I went to business school. Um, and I think a lot of what we try to do uh, and have tried you know, to do for the last seven years is actually sort of a mix of those two worlds, uh, the business world and the design world. And it's actually, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, they're not two worlds that generally agree on a lot of things. Um, and, and for that reason, there's sort of a lot of innovation to be made in that area if you're really focused on on both parts at the same time. Um, I think that that really sort of culminates in last swap. We've, we've done a bunch of projects before. We've done product design before and, you know, some real estate uh, redevelopment, things like that. But last swap for me is really sort of where we hit the, the, the nail on the head, where, where we got the design part right and we got the business part right. Um, and we really started sort of, we, we really took a step back. A, a year and a half ago, we wanted to create a product that was in and of itself, you know, a positive thing for the environment. And what, what we saw a lot of people doing were like all of these, because CSR became this like really big thing and, you know, oh, we're a green company and we're buying solar cells to power our computers and all that. And all these companies were jumping on this bandwagon. We're giving 10% of our revenue to a good cause. And I thought, well, that's kind of like, we really need to create companies that are in and of themselves producing things that have a positive impact and actually make, you know, not, not, not paying 10%, you know, to, to alleviate your conscience, but actually doing something that's good. 
Um, and we looked at a bunch of different sort of versions of this and we zeroed in on the single use items area because that we felt you could really make a big difference. And there was a really big design challenge in it because, you know, there's a reason why things are single use. It's so much more convenient for people. And there was, um, you know, a great economical incentive to, you know, think of a product that um, replaces a single use item. Because, you know, if you use a thousand of something and you create something that, you know, costs less than a thousand of something, then you've actually created an economical case for the user as well. And we looked at plastic bags and, you know, uh, coffee cups and, uh, and uh, floss, bunch, bunch of other items. And, and we, we end up with last swap because design-wise, that's how, I mean, we, we, we solved it design-wise, I think. Um, it reminds people, it basically looks like a cotton swab. And for that reason, people kind of relate to it, understand what it is. You don't have to explain it. And, and the second thing is I think people are ready for this. Like they, the, the amount of excitement that we've gotten from the launch has just been overwhelming. And I think uh, that's in large part uh, because of where people are right now and they're focused on this sort of thing. Yeah, so I mean, just to, to reiterate, so what I'm looking at with Lash Schwab is you have basically, you're reinventing the traditional cotton swab where you've got, instead of this single use thing that I use and then I throw away, uh, you're attempting to make uh, to make one and sell it that is uh, reusable, or you are selling it uh, that is uh, reusable on, on Kickstarter. Um, and I have to say, I mean, this is an audio recording, but I mean, these are definitely the most uh, beautiful looking uh, you know, cotton swab replacements that I've, uh, well, the only ones I've really seen, but they really look attractive. Like you have, you thought about the case and the colors and the design that really makes it, you know, I think probably helps you in terms of marketing, right? To, to market this thing that it's not just, doesn't just look like a cotton, like a white cotton swab. You've got this thing that looks subtly different, but familiar. Is that true? Right. That true? Yeah, definitely. So, and it's actually really interesting because I think, I think part of it is that we didn't try to make an ear cleaning device. Like that wasn't what we were interested in because there are hundreds of designs for ear cleaning devices that are alternatives to the cotton swab. But still, like the, the sale of cotton swabs hasn't gone down for the last, you know, 50 years. It's just gone up. It's, we're producing 1.5 billion cotton swabs every day. That's 550 billion cotton swabs a year. It's just, it's an insane number and it hasn't gone down. So obviously all these, you know, you know, uh, all these products on the market are not helping this problem. It's a huge, it has a huge environmental impact. So I think one of the things that we really wanted to do was not to create something that solved part of the problem, but was actually a replacement for what it was. Um, and, and the second part was obviously to get the design right. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, the colors and the small nubs on the head and sort of the, you know, the nice shape of it and, and, and the case and all that. So it really had to be this, what I actually wanted from this, because, you know, it's a, it's a cotton swab. Most people clean their ears with it. It's kind of a disgusting thing. But we wanted it to be, we wanted people to be proud of having it. Like, it should be something that you, you know, you take your mobile phone out, you know, while you're having dinner and you put it on the table and you don't mind putting your cotton swab next to the mobile phone. Like, I think that's where we have to bring people. We have to bring them to an area where they kind of love their thing. Like, that, that happened a lot with iPhones. Like, people love their iPhone. Like, it's, you, we measure it. It's been measured. Like, people love their iPhone. And that happened when the iPhone came out. This wasn't the case with a lot of the, uh, the 
bones that came out in the beginning. Like the design part, the the, the love wasn't there. And I think when we when we do these products, products where people have just because it is a little bit more inconvenient. Like it's you use it, you use a, a, a single use item and you throw it out. You don't have to clean it. Like there's a cleaning part. So if we have to get people to do that, not only do we have to make it so easy for them to complete that task, but they have to love their their product more than they love the alternative. Yeah, absolutely. So they, I mean, you're, you're making something, you're trying to make it to make up for it and, and get them to do that little bit of extra effort to make it worthwhile because they feel like it. Just like I would clean my iPhone screen or clean the case or get a new case for my iPhone. You're trying to make it say like, hey, just clean this and reuse it. So I'm curious, and then it maybe gets a little bit uh, a little bit disgusting. But what is the like when you guys have obviously done a bunch of research in this space? Like, is is the number one use of uh, of the cotton swabs uh, ear cleaning? Because I noticed you have two versions: you have a standard and a makeup version. So when you did your research, right. what were the two biggest use cases that you had for people with the single use cotton swabs? So. So there's not a lot. There's not a lot of numbers on this, and and one of the reasons why there's not a lot of numbers on it is because doctors don't. Uh, uh, they um, you know they say you shouldn't use a cotton swab in your ears, and and you know for the same reason we have to tell that same story. You know you you're not supposed to use this in your ear. You use it for a lot of other things. But the fact of the matter is that almost everyone and we, we I don't have a number on this, but I can kind of, sort of confirm it after the fact. The Everyone who writes on our, we're doing a lot of uh, boosted posts, and we, when we also when we did the email collection, we did boosted posts as well. And we've had thousands of comments, and the, the vast majority of these people, they talk about ear cleaning. Like that is that is what people use it for. The well, I think that's the one main usage. And uh, you mentioned the beauty. We have the basic and the beauty uh, version. The beauty version actually came a bit later. Uh, to begin with, it was only me and Core. My sister sort of came in a little bit later <laughs> and actually, you know, brought the beauty version into our whole setup because it, it turned out that makeup artists and people who do, you know, makeup on themselves in general use a lot of these. Mm-hmm. And we just weren't aware, you know, we, we were two guys. So we needed yeah. a, a woman to tell us that. And uh, so, so that came that came later. Um, but in our research, we really focused more on the replacement, not so much what people used it for, but just the fact that they use it. Mm-hmm. It just turns out that this is what they use it for a lot. Uh, and then there's the makeup. So I think the, I think the ear cleaning is a really large part of it. Uh, cleaning the water out of your ears after a shower. A lot of people do this. Apparently I don't. Uh, a lot of people do this. Uh, and, and then there's the makeup correction. Now, there are some limitations when it comes to the makeup part. Like it doesn't absorb. So it's more for sort of moving and correcting. But mm-hmm. I just, you know, I see... I see my fiance using these and then she just like removes a little bit of makeup from like a place under her eyes and then she throws out the cotton swab. You know, that's like what it's used for. And it's an alternative for that. Yeah. And it looks like you've got like a, it's a little bit more specialized. So to kind of describe to people, the, the makeup one looks like it has like one end, which is more of a finer point and the other end, which is like more of a, of a blunt point. So you, you are specializing the makeup one use case. It seems like specifically for those fine, like kind of alterations and touch ups. Yes. Yes. And this is actually based on a current, uh, cotton swab design that works kind of like that, that has the sort of the, 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 the pointy tip, which is cotton. And then the other one, which is more flat. Mm-hmm. Um, ours is, is based on that as well. 
So what's the uh, what's the feedback been on the product? I assume you've had some like in use, and you, you you're not just pre-selling it, but you've actually got prototypes in in, in use. And, and so what, what have you heard from people? Yeah, well, I mean, so so we've been through a lot of different versions, you know, to get the different materials right. We we we've, we've had to 3D print it, so that does give us some limitations based on some some parts of the the end product will be a fair bit better than the prototypes we made, but I think the feedback has been really good. Um, it's like the, because of the small nubs, because actually it, uh, a lot of, and I don't want to try to oversell our swap because I think we're still at a stage where when we fulfill the Kickstarter, that's when we're going to get like a lot of really valuable customer feedback. Mm -hmm. And based on that, you know, we might need to make some changes, but, um, but, but a lot of the feedback has been that the experience for youth cleaning in particular has been a lot more sort of pleasant because mm -hmm. it's it's actually more gentle the way that it's made um because it's softer like obviously cotton has a softness to it but you know it's packed hard and and um and you know the cotton the, apparently this is also an issue like the, the cotton gets stuck in people's ears this is not something that i ever considered but that was also mm -hmm. sort of an issue people have with swaps and that doesn't happen with ours so that that's pretty positive and the makeup has been uh, very positive as well. Um, and, and people have very different feedback. People have s such different views of what they use it for and what's good for them and everything. But what we've tried to ask people is really try to compare it to the alternative. That's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to alleviate that. So we just need them to be like, okay, you know, it's better than that or it's good enough or in that range. And, and sort of on that scale, it's been very positive. So let's, uh, let, let's go back a little bit. Um, before you went live on Kickstarter, can you tell me what you guys focused on in terms of marketing? Yes. So, I mean, first we had to choose Kickstarter, right? So we were, you know, we've always been really fascinated by Kickstarter. We've done a couple of Kickstarters, not particularly successful, but I've always liked the idea of doing a Kickstarter, um, a successful one. And, uh, and a, a Kickstarter is kind of its own animal in a lot of ways. It's not... It's this I'm gonna, whole, I'm gonna stop this whole, you there. So, so tell tell me about one of the failures, of Kickstarter. Okay. Yeah. No worries. Yeah. So well, uh, the, the first one we did was a hanging fruit basket. We did this in 2014. This wasn't a failure. This was just sort of a media core campaign. I think we sold uh, probably for around twenty five thousand mm -hmm. dollars. And you know we recently out and this was okay. The the product is not something that we we went very far with afterwards. Uh, since then, we did a jewelry concept, which was called noise jewelry. And the idea was that people would be able to go on a website, uh, um, uh, speak, you know, make a speak, uh, record a sound, something they said, music or anything. And that would be translated into a sound wave on a pendant. And they would be able to replay that sound with an app that would scan the pendant and then replay the sound. Um, and for a bunch of different reasons, that was not a success. And I think jewelry is really bad online. It's even worse in crowdfunding. If you look <laughs> at statistics, uh, the, the concept was too complicated. Like even just having to spend that much time explaining what it was is a problem. Like, you know, last swap, reusable cotton swap, you know, it kind of, that, that's kind of how easy it has to be. Yep. And, uh, and we didn't, it wasn't properly worked through. We didn't prepare before the launch. I think that's my whole, that's like the biggest thing I think I've learned from this. Like there are a lot of small tweaks you can do on the Kickstarter, but I think preparation is the most important thing and the best 
type of preparation you can do is email collection because you get you get so many different things out of it. You get not only do you get these pre customers, but you start getting feedback. Like you validate your product while you're building your pre launch. It's a total win win. It's like a it's like a mix of paying a marketing company up front and then doing a survey monkey. Like it's all in one. So so um, so that that. that yeah, so we didn't prepare very well for the noise campaign, uh, and that for that and a bunch of other reasons, it wasn't very successful. So that's a great lead-in. So when you say uh, the pre-launch, you're even talking to be specific for people. You're talking about the way that you collected the forty thousand email leads before you did the Kickstarter, um, and I know we met because you used Kickoff Labs for that. And so, um, yeah. how did uh, how did Kickoff Labs help you guys? Well, so. I guess the we knew we wanted to collect these emails, uh, and it costs you know a lot to get a person in and leave their email. It's basically just you know conversion costs on on whatever ad you're doing, and then them leaving their email. Um, and I guess what Kickoff Labs really gave us was not only a really good platform to be able to like set up the whole campaign, mm -hmm. um, but also to do this incentive system where that. You know, if, you, if they shared it with their friends and then they got this automatic link and if, if their friends went in and placed their email and verified their email, then they would get free swaps. This is really good for us, especially for our product, because the, the issue with Kickstarter is we can't really give rebates. Like we can't give 10% off if you sell X. We have to give a product when we do something yeah. like this. So it worked really well for us because we could basically say, if we, you know, if you have three friends signing up, we can give you a free swap because the cost of the swap is fairly low compared to, you know, a lot of other products. And, you know, those emails would be worth the cost of that swap for us. So, uh, so that was a really good uh, thing. And I think the one, the thing that excited me the most that I really got into, especially in the last two weeks of our pre-launch was the AB testing because we were doing, I think we ended up doing probably 20,000. We, we, we started with a much more conservative budget. I think we started with, uh, we wanted to use $4,000 to collect emails. And it turned out that we were getting a pretty good conversion rate. We were paying about half a dollar per email, which is really low. And, um, and, and so we really wanted to, to bank on this. And then we upped it to 20,000. And obviously we were just paying a company to do this. And we, you know, we've given them ads and things like that, but that's, then you basically just sit there and watch, like, is this good? Isn't this good? But what we could actually do is A-B test our landing page. And I think we went in those two weeks, we went from a conversion rate from 18% all the way up to 23. So just from us sitting there and changing the graphics and testing models versus product versus environment, changing different text. I mean, we basically iterated every 12 or 24 hours in two weeks and did a new one and then tested against the best one. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we got, you know, 5% extra out of our marketing budget, which is, you know, thousands of dollars. Yeah, um, I mean, so, so that was amazing. I, I can see that going through your uh, going through your campaign, you you kind of had like you start out with like a, a good campaign with an okay conversion rate, and you can just see there's like a two week period where your where your conversion rate really jumps, and so that must have been when you were doing yeah. the testing. So when you're doing the A/B testing, one of the things that I, I tell people as advice is is these campaigns are a chance to test your message. Um, what did you learn about your message uh, for Lash Schwab through the uh, through the A/B testing? 
Right. So here's what's actually really great. Not only do you convert better, but you also get an idea of what your Kickstarter is supposed to look like. Because it's kind of the same format. Like you come in and what's the first thing you want them to see? What's the second thing you want them to see? It's, it's really this, you know, you just scroll down. That's mm-hmm. the kind of the, that's a, you know, that's the page you want to make where you collect the emails and your Kickstarter is going to do the same thing. So what we learned was we started with a lot of model photos because we were kind of, we were afraid that people weren't going to get what this was. Um, and for that reason, I think we always wanted to put it into the hand of a model. You know, you want to create context. At least you hear that in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. But uh, what actually converted really well was the environmental message. Yep. So we sort of saw that when we went more into, uh, you know, showing, you know, the sea animals and showing the product, a really good render of the product, uh, that was the best message. We ended up having a really good render that showed it showed a closed box and a half open box with the swab and then a swab out of the box. So you kind of got the idea that it was in a case. Yep. And then we had uh, a squid sort of clamoring and we did a lot of different environmentally. We had a surfer and we had a beach and everything. But the one that um, converted the best was the squid holding onto the, the single use cotton swab in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Cause that kind of, it, it explains everything. Like you get what the product is, you get what the problem is and why this product has to exist. Um, and I think we use that so much in our Kickstarter and all the advertising that we've done since. So yeah, that's, that's what we learned. Yeah. I'm looking at the page, um, and I'll post uh, pictures with this as well. Um, so people can see the page that seemed to have one of the best conversion rates is exactly as you described it. It's, uh, got the great product shot and then the environmental message where you've got to really clear what I love about the copy on this page is it says problem and then solution, like pointing at the other thing. And then the text, says um i think you tackle people's objections right away like lash because you can see what the product is but then the text you you think like oh why would i reuse it the first thing you say is is an easy to clean sanitary it's like you're starting with easy to clean sanitary reusable alternative to the cotton swab um and then you're giving people a reason to sign up saying they'll get early access to the kickstarter and you'll get 45 percent off um and and then the page goes into the very clear you know some more descriptions mixed with the environmental message which i like um right but it's fascinating because like this is your perfect case study what do you tell people is the best practices that you hear about don't always work for every particular market and product because you started with what I think a lot of people would say is a best practice, which is we're going to start with the model and like put it the product in context focus. And, um, and then you learned through your experimentation that maybe that wasn't the best thing for your market and your target customers right now. Yeah. And then we really got this feedback double because we were doing it on the pre-launch page and we could do the AB test. A-B testing, and then we did a lot of different boosted. Uh, the, the way we collected the emails was basically just with boosted Facebook posts. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was this whole sort of discussion, and based on a lot of the things that people were saying, we would also use that to tweak the uh, the, the the kickoff labs page. And what's actually really because I had to kind of I had to qualify because I could see us going from you know eighteen conversion rate to 19 and so on to 23. And when we were at 23, I was like, I I need to double check this. So I took the first page we did and I ran them against each other. Like the first one we did and the last one we ended up with. And that basically confirmed it. Like it was a little bit higher. I think we've gotten better leads and better at the ads, but we were still at a very big difference between the first one we did and the last one. Yeah. 
No, that's a, that's a great um, sanity check uh, that I haven't heard many people do, but it's a great way to sanity, to get a check and say, this is actually working. This, this focus we did, uh, did make a difference. Um, so it's a great. Uh, yeah. Um, so that was the, that was the, one of the main last questions I had. So to drive traffic to your pre-launch campaign and then the Kickstarter, was it primarily through the usage of boosted posts in Facebook? Yeah, I mean, we did, we, we'd actually had the, the kickoff labs pre-launch page for a while and we'd done, you know, we tried to do some outreach and talk to some influencers and have them sort of share it and things like that. And a little bit did happen, but it was, it, it was uncomparable to just going out and doing the advertising because, and this, this will probably not be the case for, you know, a lot of products, but we, we have a, a product that needs to be a really good converter. Like that's, that has to be the thing for this product. And we got that tested during this. So I think when we do this on the next product, you know, we're going to, when, when last swap is all set up and done and everything, uh, you know, we're going to want to do last bag or last gloss or whatever. And we're going to go directly to doing this. We're not going to use an agency for it because we need to, you know, we need to become good friends with Facebook manager and we have good pixels and, and, you know, audience groups and stuff. We can use all that because the, the audience will be the same. Mm -hmm. For someone starting up, you probably need some sort of support because you won't have enough data to just start doing the audience groups. It'll be too expensive to uh, do the ads. But, you know, at some point you'll have it and you can do it yourself. But, but I, will go, I will go directly to this. I wouldn't, do, I wouldn't go the media way. The media doesn't really want to talk about you unless you're a success. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't do uh, influencers or things like that because it's just, it's, it's so much work and it's like a game all in and all in and of itself that you really need to understand. Um, and I think the really good way to get validation is just to get consistent traffic. And the way you get that is by paying for it. Um, we used Funded Today. Now, I have you know, some issues with Funded Today, and I'm not going to get into that, um, but uh, they did a really know, good job. Funded Today? Funded Today is a crowdfunding uh, marketing company. It's actually the biggest crowdfunding marketing company. They do uh, you know, Kickstarter and Indiegogo campaigns, and they're basically a one-stop shop for that. Um, and they're very sort of closed in the way they do business. Like you, you, you pay them money and you almost don't know what they're doing. Like the only thing you get is like, is this good or is this bad? It's very binary working with them. Um, and that'll be based on the numbers that come out. And you kind of really have to trust them, um, which I don't, which is one of the issues. But, uh, but the, the email uh, collection, they did really well. And, uh, they, and, and that's because they had the data. So they were able to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, doing the posts and using our graphics, but even even just doing it yourself, just for a couple of hundred dollars, like I think that would be worth it. Like just do do your best graphic, put it up on a post and boost that post. Do it intelligently, like figure out what your audience is, see if you can get like access to a Pixar audience or something that matches you, and then just see what happens. Like see if you can get a hundred leads doing that, um, and if you can, like if you feel like that conversion rate is worth it, like we did like half a dollar for a lead, which is incredible. But even if you have to pay like a couple of dollars in the beginning for a lead, I think it's worth it to get to know your audience. And people will start to like comment. And then you can base, you know, the next ad on, you know, which people bought. I can use these people to look like group and sort of work your way slowly through that. That's definitely what we're going to do next. Uh, it's, uh, that's, that's some more great advice. I love, uh, I love hearing that. 
uh, from people. Um, so I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, we're gonna move into the last part. <laughs> I don't want to take up too much of your time, uh, and I want to go through five questions. The last five questions. Uh, so. How do you personally get in the work zone? Are you just feeling like you're doing amazing work? Oh, oh, that's yeah. The, the zone, uh, the zone is I'm I. For me, it's really when the work uh, just sort of materializes. I guess so. I work a lot when there's a lot of work to be done. It's actually hard for me to get in the zone if there's not. You know, people tugging at me, which only happens when you launch something and you do it at a fairly, I don't want to say massive scale, but when you have a, a fair amount of traffic, um, that usually gets me in the zone because then I have to solve, like, everything. Uh, defining, like, I think the reason why we succeeded design-wise on this, like, the reason why we got into that element was just because we kept, we kept limiting what we wanted to do and what we were prepared to do like from a design perspective, like, you know, we want to do something that's good for the environment. We only want to do something that's single use. We only want to, well, that eliminates single use. We only want to do it in this area. It has to be small. It can't be consumable. And, and keep, we kept on limiting ourselves in things. And, and that, um, that barrier that, you know, that you can't go a thousand different ways with what you're doing, that, that brings me into the zone. Perfect. Favorite vacation destination? Oh, um, Maldives. What do you love about it? It's just, it's, it's an island and it's isolated island and it's isolated and your, the weather is always good. Um, that was just, that place was just heaven for me. Perfect. Uh, someone you look up to personal or business wise. Oh, uh, Dieter Rams. Uh, Brown designer Jonathan Ive, uh, the uh, the chief uh, designer at Apple, is actually very inspired by him. He, uh, Dieter Rams is a German uh, designer. He, he is his approach to design is something I think we're lacking a lot in our society, where people go in sort of all these odd directions, where he is so user focused, uh, minimalistic, not in a sort of this has to be you know a square white box, minimalistic, but in a how does this tell the usability to the user in the best possible way? And he was one of, if I'm not mistaken, he's one of the first designers too that really is part of his message of, of communicating good design was that it also had to be something that had some good or was good for the environment in some way, right? Or am I missing? Yeah, it's actually interesting. No, yeah, yeah, I think you're completely right. It's, it's actually interesting because I think he was an environmentalist before that was really a thing. Um, I think that was just implicit for him. It, it wasn't really a choice or something that he really talked about. I don't think you'll find a lot of a lot of uh, quotes where he talks about that specifically. But I think for him, that was just a no-brain. Mm -hmm. Favorite podcast or TV show? Oh, um, probably um, Freakonomics. Uh, I'm torn between Tim Ferriss and Freakonomics. Uh, I love Tim Ferriss. Um, Freakonomics is a little bit more focused on, I like sort of the eccentricities of different uh, economical aspects, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the things that you don't think about 
and uh, how that impacts us or how things actually work. Perfect. Um, and the most challenging part of your journey so far? Um, I think the thing that keeps me up at night is when I lose control over a certain aspect of what we're doing. Uh, the the partnerships that we have where I, I have to, I feel like the communication isn't aligned or, you know, I have to wait, I have to trust someone. It's not, I'm not, I don't see myself as a control freak in that sense. It's more a question of, I like being able to, uh, well, I need to trust the process. And when I don't, uh, I get frustrated. I think the biggest challenge for us with this, because, uh, you know, the, the sales part of it has actually gone surprisingly well. The emails. Oh, I actually want to mention one last thing about the emails. The conversion rate on those were crazy. I had no idea we were going to hit a conversion rate that was that high. When you collect emails, you get a conversion rate probably from, you know, an ROI of like 10% all the way up to 500%. I think we almost hit like the 500% mark, which is just incredible. That That's the best conversion we've seen of all the advertising we've done. Um, oh, yeah. So that was the challenging part. Production is going to be uh, the thing that we're going to have to spend the most time on because we really have to get it right. Mm -hmm. The quality of the product. Absolutely. I look forward to uh, seeing how that goes for you guys. Um, and so for anybody that's interested, um, you can check them out. They own uh, lastschwab.com, uh, L-A-S-T-S-W-A-B.com, lastschwab.com. Um, they're available at the time of this recording on, uh, on Kickstarter, um, and you can pre-order yours there. Um, and then uh, anything I missed, so or uh, closing advice you might have for people listening. Wow, I don't know. Um, prepare a lot, validate your product, and uh, you know, be prepared to fail a couple of times. Uh, I did. Great, uh, great advice. Uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, I loved uh, seeing uh, following following your journey. Cause I hadn't hadn't paid much as much attention until I saw your Kickoff Labs campaign, and I said, "What are they up to now?" And then I saw the. Kickstarter campaign. I was, uh, I was like, wow, that, uh, that's, that's a great success story. I want to talk to, uh, I want to talk to this guy selfishly. Part of the reason I do this is because I think, uh, I, I believe everybody could learn from, uh, from someone else. And, uh, I've really enjoyed learning from you for the last, uh, for the last half hour or so. Um, thanks for coming on and, um, look forward to chatting with you again in the future. Yeah. Likewise. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know by hitting the review button in your favorite podcast app. Frankly, my goal is just one person that's not my parents got this far and let me know by emailing josh at kickofflabs.com. Thanks and have a great day.